This morning's scripture reading is from the book of Galatians, chapter 2, verses 11 through 21. This is Paul speaking. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We, who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we, too, have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Because... By observing the law, no one will be justified. If while we seek to be justified in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God For if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Good morning. There's a church in New York City called the Church of the Holy Cross that has many times been broken into. Money boxes have been stolen. Vandalism has taken place in the church. The caretaker of the church one morning showed up, and as he showed up into the church... And they had the crucifix on the wall. What was stolen this time was a 200-pound, four-foot Jesus that was on the cross. And they stole Jesus right out of the church. And his response was, I can't believe that they would take Jesus without the cross. That they would take him, and if they wanted the crucifix of Jesus, why wouldn't they take the whole thing? And although it is true that Jesus no longer remains on the cross, he is our resurrected Jesus, the other truth is that without the cross, there is no salvation for you and me. Without the cross, there is no freedom 
Without the cross, we nullify the price that was paid for us. We destroy the gift of grace. Without the cross, we decide the way to God. And that's what Paul is dealing with this morning as he addresses his brother Peter in Antioch in the church. And Paul comes in strongly because there is at hand a teaching that there seems to be other ways to get to God, to be pleasing to God, to be right with him. And so we see this scene beginning in chapter 2 of verse 11. And Peter comes to Antioch. And I want to remind you of what happened previously in chapter 2 where Paul had gone to Jerusalem to meet with the apostles, the big dogs of the church, the, the ones who ran it all. And there they began their discussions about the love of Jesus and what was being taught. And what was happening there was that they came into agreement about what was being taught about who Jesus was, that Jesus died on the cross for us, that he offers life. And what was happening after that encounter was, the scriptures say, the right hand of fellowship was extended. Koinonia, this beautiful relationship, because of our relationship in Jesus Christ. And so from that place in Jerusalem, Paul and Peter are sent out to go bring the good news of Jesus to the world. And we don't exactly know the time gap between the right hand of fellowship and this scene in verse 11. But now Paul comes and starts to talk like a Frenchman. And I oppose you to your fists, Peter. He comes strong against Peter and what he's doing. And you go, well, what is the problem that is happening in Antioch? A church which is north, up by Syria, the church where Christians were first called Christians. And so Paul steps in as Peter shows up. And you go, what is the problem that Paul has to address? Well, if you remember before... In Galatians 2, 4, and 5, Paul and Titus are hanging out in Jerusalem, and the Judaizers, the law followers, the ones who keep the rules, say, listen, Titus, who's a Greek, needs to be circumcised. That's part of tradition. That makes you right with God. These are the things that you have to do to keep the law and to be in good standing with the Lord. And Paul basically steps up and says, listen, that's not the deal. And what he says is, in Galatians 2.5, as he was talking to the Judaizers, says this, We did not give in to them for a moment. Why? So that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. The truth of the gospel is what was at stake here in Antioch. In Jerusalem, it dealt with with circumcision, in Antioch, we're going to be dealing with dietary laws. You need to eat certain things in order to be right with God. There are certain rules that we have in order you, for you to be approved. The truth of the gospel 
was at stake. What is the gospel? It's the good news is what it means. That we can be right with God through his son Jesus who died on the cross for our sin and who rose again. We can receive this gift by believing in his son Jesus. And we live by faith in the son of God who loved us and gave his life for us. A gift that is offered to all. The good news is that Jesus is the bridge. He reminds us in John 14, 6, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. I wanted to show a picture of what might represent the gospel. It's a picture of a truck that crashed. And it went through this guardrail, hopped over this tunnel, ended up backwards on this little ledge right here. And you go, amazing that it didn't roll over and that there wasn't more damage and that the person didn't die. And you go, whew, I made it through. But here's the truth of the gospel. That car busted through the ridge, through the barrier, somehow flipped backwards and landed on that little ledge below was hundreds of feet down to the pit that if he had gone past, he would have died a sure death. That ledge is Jesus Christ. There's no other way that you would have been saved if it was not for that ledge. That is the good news. That there is a bridge, there is a ledge, because all of us on our own are driving through that guardrail straight to the depths. And the problem where the gospel was being messed with is when we say this, well, thank goodness I am such a good driver that I was able to flip my car around and land on that ledge. Thank goodness I have such ability to be able to go through a guardrail and turn to such a degree that I can save myself. And you too need to learn the principles and how to go through a guardrail and save yourself on the ledge. And here's the steps you follow to do so. It's absurdity. But it's what was being presented to the young Christians in Antioch. It's what was being presented to Titus and others. This is how you have salvation. This is how you get right with God. The only thing is, is that we as fallen sinners who will face a holy God will end up driving through that guardrail and going straight down unless we depend and rely on and receive Jesus alone. But Peter wasn't teaching that. Peter was starting to teach that you need to drive a little bit better. 
in order to be right with God, in order to save yourself, in order to be a Christian. And Paul has to step in. Stop distorting the truth, Peter. And he stood firm for what the truth was. Paul remembered that he was an ambassador of Jesus Christ and of Jesus alone. He was not around to please men. He was around to remind people that Jesus is that ledge, and it's the only way that we have life. Because we're destined for that pit. And Jesus saves us, and then from that point, he gives us life to live. And he drives that truck of ours. So what happened to Peter, the great apostle? What was taking place? Verse 11 says, When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. I have to point this out to Kramer all the time. (laughs) Unbelievable, this guy. You know, I bring these truths of Scripture to my wife at home. Honey, must I remind you? We now have it abbreviated. I just say, honey, 211, babe, 211. (laughs) Gentlemen, I want you to try that at home. Just let me know how that's working for you. I think it's a good tool in your marriage. The Greek is a little deeper. It says, Peter stood condemned when Paul talked to him about the issue at hand. Peter was like a little boy, caught with his hand in the cookie jar, chocolate on his face, and he knew that he was not living according to what God had called him to live out. There's a beautiful scene in Acts chapter 10 where Peter has a vision from God. And this vision is these sheets pouring out, and coming down these sheets are all these different animals, these hood, split-hooved animals, that the Jews, which Peter was a good Jew, were not allowed to partake in, not allowed to eat. No bacon for the Jew. And God says in the vision, Peter, I want you to go to Cornelius, and I want you to go and sup with him, a Gentile, and enjoy fellowship with him. And Peter, in response to God's call at first, says, Lord, I can't do this. This is so against everything I know and everything I've learned and and, and my relationship with you. And I can't do it. And God in the vision says, Peter, you go. You're going to bring the love of me to the Gentiles. And so he goes in obedience and he meets up with Cornelius And his whole family responds to the love of God. And so begins the journey of relationship of Gentiles with God. Because of Peter. He stands up for the Gentiles as he brings the good news of Jesus. And that they can actually have relationship, the ones that were always called the sinners they can stand in right standing with God. And so actually, in Acts chapter 11, Peter takes heat for it. He has to go before a council, and they're like, what are you doing eating with the Gentiles? 
that Peter stands up and says, listen, God called me to go and minister and bring the good news of Jesus Christ. And if God is for them, how in the world can I be against them? And they respond praising God and saying, blessed be God. May they know him like we do. And so Peter joins the Gentiles in Antioch and he eats with them in freedom and and he's honoring Christ and his all-sufficiency. And he's walking in love. And Peter, the one who began this relationship with the Gentiles, all of a sudden, we see him backpedaling. These guys from James, these law keepers, the ones who keep the rules to the T, they show up and Peter stops eating with his Gentile brothers and sisters. And you go, what is going on with Peter? And Paul points out that Peter, when these guys from James showed up, he responded in fear and he withdrew and separated himself out from the Gentiles. What's Peter afraid of? You know, these men from James may have been very powerful men. They may have been part of the leadership in Jerusalem. And you wonder if Peter was afraid that maybe my reputation will go back to Jerusalem and it may not be as influential. Maybe I will be attacked again. Maybe they'll look on me poorly as a follower of Jesus. Maybe they'll start to spread things about me. I don't want to have to face that group of guys again. It was uncomfortable the first time. And so he responds in fear by backing away from the table, that table of fellowship. It may have even been the table of communion. He backs away, confusing the Gentiles, these young Christians. What about you and me? How do we respond when our coworkers and our friends, you know, it's amazing to me how, how free they are in sharing about the way they live life. The way that they find life and happiness. The way that they live out their theology and they present to us their philosophies. And they do that freely, don't they? Obviously, we have to be careful at work of some of those things. But for the most part, they will share about their view of how to live life. And we as friends will often sit there and listen and respond. But do we also bring to the table our view of life and of Jesus Christ and who he is and that he is the Savior? And this is how we have life. Can you say of your life in Christ, like Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of salvation for everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For the gospel is a righteousness from God that is revealed and a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Are you afraid Do you withdraw when people present their view of life and yet you don't want to bring up the truth of who you are in Christ? 2 Timothy 1.7 For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, 
and self-discipline. Maybe Peter is dealing with his own sense of failure, that he realized that I'm, I'm not living out what I know to be true. I'm backing away from the table, but I know that I'm free in Christ to eat uh, bacon with my Gentile brothers. But he knows he's failed. He's walked off the path of righteousness. The, the Greek shows us it's, it's, it's a misstep. You, you're not walking on this journey, this pathway that leads to Christ and his righteousness. And he knows it. And maybe in his failure, he doesn't want to deal with it. That sense of, I've blown it. I don't want to have to talk to anybody about it. Isn't that what we do when we sin, when we choose to walk off the path of righteousness? The Holy Spirit starts to work on us, doesn't he? And then we do just like Peter. We separate ourselves out and we withdraw. And I just want to encourage you this morning that if you have gotten off the path of righteousness, you have chosen to make choices that are sinful, that you wouldn't do like Peter did. That you wouldn't withdraw from the family of God. That you would allow yourself to receive a word, maybe from a brother or sister, that is trying to draw you back into righteousness and into that relationship with Christ, which you want to be at that we wouldn't forget the gospel. You see, it's for these missteps, it's for these getting off the path, this is why Jesus came for us. I think sometimes we forget that. And so we withdraw from God. I've blown it. I can't please anybody. And so I separate myself out. I know what's true, but I separate myself out. And may we not forget the truth of the gospel that Jesus came to die for you and me. Came to give us life as we believe in him. And he loves you right where you're at. And he calls you back like Paul is doing with Peter, back in the right relationship. And to living in truth. And to bringing again that message that it's Jesus who does that for us. You can't do enough good things to fix your missteps. You can't keep adding to stuff to try to make it right. You just say, God, forgive me. Forgive me. And the Bible reminds us he is quick to forgive and to wash us of our sin. You know, maybe he lived in fear that he didn't have it right, that he didn't quite get it. He didn't understand what God was really doing in the freedom of Christ. You know, I I thought I could do and and, and eat ham with my brothers, but maybe that's not the deal. Maybe I still have to do these things and live out my Jewish tradition because then I can be pleasing to God. You know, we do this in the most subtle of ways. You ever been at the grocery market and you're pushing your cart down the aisle and and you run into someone from the church? Except that particular day you happen to have bought a bottle of wine that you were trying to cover with the toilet paper and the big loaf of bread. (laughs) And here's what you do to yourself. You go, whoa, maybe you kind of feel guilty. You feel a little like, does this look like a Christian? 
does this look proper? And we start to attack ourselves about who we are in Christ. You know, if you're free in Christ to have a glass of wine with dinner or whatever, then you're free in Christ. If it's becoming where you're getting drunk or you're, you're, you're looking for it as an escape, then you have to ask Christ to free you from that. We, we pour this burden on ourselves. Are we good enough? Are we right? Do we look Christian? You know what else we do to ourselves? Because it's where I've been this last couple of weeks. Been working on this home project. And you know what? I finished this beautiful tile floor that I'm really pleased with. I, I think Kina and I, I thought we, we did a really nice job. I want you to see it. It's beautiful. <laughs> so I finished the whole floor. And uh, there's some tack strip along the carpet that connects into the tile. And I had to pull out the old tack strip in order to put some new stuff in. And as I'm pulling out the old tack strip, my hammer slips and I chip a big chunk out of my brand new tile floor. My whole quota of swear words were used up in about a minute. (laughs) And you know what? I sat there, seriously, as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a pastor, and I'm just like, man, that was from the pit. God, what is wrong with me? And you go, ah, I'm just ugly sometimes. Am I really a follower of Christ? Where's the, the spirit, the joy, the peace, the kindness? It just reminded me in the midst of it, the ugliness one all week. I mean, it was just kind of like, I was just in a bad mood all week. But it reminded me of like, I don't love you any less. You're washed in me. I don't want you to live in, in the frustration of that. I, turn that over to me, that junk. Rod, you've got to let that go and, and let me live through you. Because you keep trying to, you know, okay, I'll be a better Christian, I won't swear. You, you can't do that on your own. You've got to let God start to work in your life. You've got to get out of the way. Let him live in you. And see, what was happening in the church in Antioch, Peter, when he lived out of fear, he was confusing the young Christians of what it looked like to be Christian. I don't think they knew anymore if they were Christian. And Paul comes in strongly because Peter's acting out of hypocrisy, the scriptures teach us in verse 13. That fear had been motivating him. That fear led his life. That the Jews, all the Jews with him started to dissemble. That Peter's actions spoke very clearly more than his words did that he was not going to associate or be shown that he was living as a Gentile sinner. Peter's actions were so powerful that even Barnabas, the great champion for the Gentiles, he was swept away into the sea of confusion. He was sucked under by the undertow of law again. Christ came that we would live in freedom and died of fear. Paul steps in that we would live in the truth of the gospel and die to the law. The rules, everything that we think is going to make us pleasing to God or get us to God or make us a good Christian. And Paul comes in strongly because Peter is not acting in line with the gospel. He was not walking that path correctly. 
Peter, a prominent leader, if not the leader of the whole church, the guy who stood up in Acts chapter 2 and said, Hey, listen, this is what God is all about. This is what his son Jesus is. And 3,000 came to Christ that day. Peter, Cephas, the rock, is living in fear. And he's doing it publicly. And so Paul addresses him publicly. Peter was setting up that dividing wall again that was at the temple between Jew and Gentile. We worship over here. You worship over here. And so Paul enters in strongly in the voice of Martin Luther King Jr. It says there will be no racism here. God loves these Gentiles. They are as valuable as you are as a Jew. They are children of God like you are. They can come in to any bus and sit at the front right next to Jesus. They can go into any restaurant and they can come in and sup with Jesus. There is no dividing line. Peter, how dare you hold people back and put on them that they have to do something more than receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He's not soft with his words. And Paul comes in and says, Peter, you know, we know that we are justified by faith and faith alone. That no one, no one by observing the law will be justified, Peter. You know, we live in this wonderful community. And in this community... We have a lot of Mormon friends, and they are friends, and they're good friends. And I just want to encourage you that as you have friendship with your Mormon neighbors, that you would bring in Galatians to the conversation. And again, we're not here to attack our Mormon friends, but as they share life with us and we with them, I think it's a fair question to ask Help me understand your freedom in Christ. How do you live out in what Galatians offers? Or do you? Help me to know you because I want you to know, you you say you want me to know the new gospel. I want you to know the gospel. Which is that we are free in Christ. And there's nothing you can do to add to that. That's in love. Not in an agenda to, I'll have victory over them in my theology. Bring Galatians to their lives and just ask and care for your Mormon friends who most of them have a different theology and bring in the gospel, the good news, that it's Jesus and Jesus alone. Paul says, listen, we're not justified. And now he has to stand up and he has to deal with these guys from James who are throwing out this argument Listen, who are you, Peter? You're, you're a Jew who was freed up to come and eat with the Gentiles. And, and now, and you know it to be true, and you live it out, and you believe it. Now you're backpedaling. And, and now you're forcing the Gentiles to act like Jews and live it out. But you yourself don't even live like a Jew. 
you live in the freedom of Christ, and you eat with the Gentiles. And again, the Gentiles were called sinners, like tax collectors were in the Scriptures. And now Paul does this argument, because it's coming at him. See, these guys from James are saying, well, listen, you are causing these people to eat bacon, and you're, you're, you're forcing them, or you're eating with them, and therefore you're sinners, and you're living in sin together. And so Paul addresses that. And he'll take this much. He'll take, hey, listen, if you want to look at us and our freedom in Christ and call us sinners, so be it. That doesn't, so be it. It's foolish, but so be it. But for you to say that Jesus is an agent of sin, that he is the one who leads us into sin, may it never be. That is so contrary to who he is. That because he gives us freedom to be with our Gentile brothers, to be in relationship, and to be free in Christ, that the chains are gone, that Jesus is leading us to sin? No. It's like Romans that says, should we keep on sinning so that grace might abound? Absolutely not. Like in the Gospels, when Jesus was casting out demons, they say, he must be Beelzebub because he cast out demons. He's like, no way. There's no connection. How dare you? And so he fights the argument. He says, Peter, you know. And he gives his testimony, Paul does. He says, if while I seek to be justified in Christ, excuse me, he says, listen, I have destroyed, I have been living through the law, but I have died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I didn't die to the law that Moses gave. I died to the way that the Pharisees and the Judaizers are taking the law and trying to make us live it out and adding to the law. I died to my old self that kept trying to get to God. I have died to that. If I rebuild the sandcastle, the waves of a holy God will come and wash that right over. I can't stand before a holy God in my keeping of the rules and my trying to be so Christian. I can never do it, and I've died to that. And Paul realizes this beautiful connection, this beautiful relationship. He says, I died to that, and now I live for God. And you go, well, how do I live for God? You must die. You must die to everything that you think will take you to God, will please God more. You die to self. And I have been crucified with Christ. It is I who no longer live, but Christ who lives his life through me. You can't try to, again, just get it up enough Christianity to do it right to look so Christian. Unless Christ starts to work with me and, and, and deal with my anger issues or my temper or my, the way I treat my wife, unless he starts to dive in and, 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 and I start to move aside and say, Lord, I'm struggling. I can't, I can't do it. 
He says exactly, die to self. We must die. And Paul realizes that beautiful relationship. It's not this intellectual deal anymore. It's a recognition that I truly, because of my life, my old self, my ways, they have died on the cross with Christ. We realize at the cross, we remember that he died for us and that he bought our hopeless condition. The crucifixion of Jesus is an open display of my hellish condition without him. And when I see and I believe that he died for me, then my ego, which loves to be put on display, my power, my efforts, my own intellect, my amazing morality, when I look there, they die with him. There is no self-reliance and self-confidence at the foot of the cross. When Christ died, I died. What I want to do this morning with you guys as we wrap up our worship is those pieces of paper that we had is that we would come to the foot of the cross as the Lord leads, as the Lord leads, and take those pieces of paper and die to yourself. Say, God, help me here. I die to this. Maybe it's your life that you need to give over to him. Maybe you come to the cross and you just remember what he did for you. Maybe you thank him that he bought you, that we're no longer our own, we're bought with a price. It's Christ in me, the hope of glory. And so I just want to spend some time as a family of God, and Adrian's going to lead us in, in some worship songs, to just come again as the Father leads. And to say, Lord, what do you want me to die to? What am I holding on to? And to receive the gift and be renewed and rejoiced in the fact that, you know what, I don't have to live. It's Christ now living through me. And we can rejoice in that together. So let's take some time this morning as we close up to come to the foot of the cross.